What is relevant about this is that whereas 40 years ago when I was born, the question of having to deal with what is unspoken by the subjugated, what is never said to the master, Remember having to deal with this reality was a very remote, very remote possibility. It was in no one's mind. When I was growing up, I was taught in American history books that Africa had no history, and neither did I. That I was a savage, about whom the less said the better, who had been saved by Europe and brought to America. And of course, I believed it. I didn't have much choice. Those are the only books there were. Everyone else seemed to agree. If you walk out of Harlem, ride out of Harlem, downtown, the world agrees. What you see is much bigger, cleaner, whiter, richer, safer than where you are. They collect the garbage. People obviously can pay their life insurance. The children look happy, safe. You're not. And you go back home. And it would seem then, of course, that it's an act of God, that this is true. That you belong where white people have put you. It is only since the Second World War that there's been a counter-image in the world. And that image not come about through any legislation on the part of any American government, but through the fact that Africa was suddenly on the stage of the world, and the Africans had to be dealt with in a way they'd never been dealt with before. This gave an American Negro, for the first time, a sense of himself beyond a savage or a clown. It has created, and will create, a great many conundrums. One of the great things that the white world does not know, but I think I do know, is that black people are just like everybody else. One has used the myth of Negro and the myth of color to pretend and to assume that you are dealing essentially with something exotic, bizarre, and practically according to human laws unknown. Alas, that is not true. We are also mercenaries, dictators, murderers, liars. We are human too. What is crucial here unless we can manage to establish some kind of dialogue between those people whom I pretend have paid for the American dream and those other people who have not achieved it, we will be in terrible trouble. Things are going to get worse before they get better got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. 
Oh man, welcome back, y'all. Welcome back. Um, how y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Oh man. Woo, y'all. This has been a. Uh, this has been. It's been an interesting week. Um, first, welcome back. Welcome to uh, to new new subscribers, new folks here to Profane Faith. This your boy Dan White Hodge. Um, glad you guys are listening in in this session. I know last week's session uh, or last week's episode was uh, really good. Uh, got a lot of good positive feedback. Um, you know, to have Tahina and Maya on was amazing, right? They were um, that got they got a lot of downloads and a lot of hits. Um, and so if this is your second episode listening. Welcome. We'll continue on with great conversations. Um, but you know, this week I just wanted to share, you know, you know, I tweeted earlier, you know, that, you know, the work of race and equity, racial equity and interculturalism, um, it's exhausting. Um, and we hear that all the time, right? But the, the reality of it is, is that, you know, that quote with James Baldwin that says, you know, what is my purpose here on, you know, in this country? You know, and there are there are there are many times that I think about that. And I'll be honest, man, these colonizers are just getting on my last every last damn nerve. You know, if it's not something every every year that I have been uh, at my current employer, there has been some issue that comes up and it's always a passive thing. Right. It's always somebody that's out there wanting to come, you know, wanting to have some conversation with me about something either I said or I'm doing, have done, tweeted, posted, some conference I'm having, somebody I'm bringing, there's always something. I mean, and, you know, you can think, well, that's just anybody, Dan. You know, you can you can rationalize that. But here's the thing. The reality of it is, is that we're in a very tumultuous time. Um I am not encouraged by the coming years. I don't think in the 2020 election that if and when uh, the Trumpster goes down, that, you know, it'll just be an easy turnover of power. We are in a bad conundrum. And so that political strife stretches into because it's so closely connected with American white evangelicalism. It is it is entrenched into many, many aspects and components of our society and it's there you can't it's it's in every facet right and so for me being in higher education uh it it's there right so what can a black person say what can't they say um how do they how should they act right in most institutions want somebody who's not too niggerish right they want somebody who's a little bit more domesticated uh you know and it seems like the folks who you know, particularly a lot of white liberals and white centrists, for that matter, um, get touted as the racial experts. Um, and, you know, it's like the in, the in the same old song just keeps on playing over and over and over. And it's just um, it's depressing. I mean, I'll just be honest. It's depressing. It's it, this is it's difficult. There are days when I wish I could just turn it off, but I don't have that privilege. I don't have the privilege of just being able to be like, oh, let me go and, and do something else. I can suspend that. I can temporarily pause it. By watching something funny, by going on a walk with my family, by hanging out uh, with friends, by writing, uh, by doing this podcast. This podcast is an amazing. Uh, just it's I love doing. It. I love working with audio. I love being creative. Um, but I can never get away from it. And it's only uh, a split second away when I'm reminded about just how much I am of a nigga in this country. And so I struggle with that. 
uh, it's an ongoing thing. I mean, I think about just being conscious, woke, whatever you want to call it, educated. Um, it can be uh, almost a curse. I mean, Tupac talked about that a lot. He said, man, God has cursed me, you know, to see something different. He has cursed me to see a different world, um, a world that, you know, that should be. <laughs> and, um, oh, man, I... I don't really have a lot of uh, good things to say in regards to um, just where we're at racially. I, I'm not a big um, racial reconciler. Right. You know, I don't believe in those ideological structures or theologies for that matter. I mean, I think reconciliation is one thing. But when you start taking into account that racial reconciliation takes two people um, and oftentimes um they are theologies and ideologies that just continue to subjugate people of color, particularly black folks. It is a in, in religious circles. Right. Most of the times we want things to work out. We want things to be nice. And so in turn, we 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 can capitulate to this idea and notion that it will all be OK. if We can just somehow come together, have some great grand conversation that rarely ever takes place. Right. Or that rarely even produce or if it does take place, rarely ever produces anything of substance. Where are the people of color, right, that are in positions of power that can begin to affect actual change in policy, actual change where they themselves are not going to be taken out and not going to be fired or they're going to be killed. I mean, we think about these bombings in Austin, right? We're reading now and we're finding out that these bombs, um, I was just tweeting about this the other day, uh, that, you know, these bombings, they're, they're, they're targeting prominent black families. Now, what the hell does that mean, right? What does that, what does that look like? And I think for those of you, you know, who are white, okay. Those of you who are, who are part of my white audience, it's like, you know, I get I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you're you're in this and, you know, and you're you're probably, you know, shaking your head, not not shaking, but nodding your head like, yeah, man, you know, this is this is, um, you know, this I'm, I'm with you. And I don't necessarily have a prescription. I don't have a prescription for white folks to do. I mean, I know that whites cannot lead the next movement of civil liberties and, and, and civil rights. Um, it has to be a person of color led movement. But I'm I'll be honest, I'm not sure how that's going to happen um, in this country. I really don't. Um, I hope I hope I'm wrong. I was wrong about, um, you know, having a black president. I'm, I'm hope I'm wrong about this. You know, I didn't think there was going to be a black president in my time um, in my lifetime. Uh, but I was wrong about that. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, eight years of a black president. Right. And, we, and this is what we got. And so we find ourselves in this turmoil. We find ourselves in this racial quandary um, of hate, of visceral violence on you know corners. Um, and then you get, quote unquote, stakeholders who are concerned about certain aspects and regards of the black people that work for them. Uh, you know, something they said or something they, you know, didn't do. And so for me, I am. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And I get I know we got to do self-care. I do that. I do a lot of that. I say no to a lot of stuff. Um, and it's good. It's great. But at the end of the day, I am still black. I can't take this off. I cannot change to change who I am. I, I cannot. This is who I am. You know, and oftentimes organizations, they want the multiculturalism, but they don't want the full embodiment of what it really means to sit in uncomfortableness, to really begin to disband white supremacy, um, to really begin to disrupt it. And I think about when those things do happen, how uncomfortable white people feel and that uncomfortable produces several different things. One, it produces a pushback, a dissonance, if you will. It produces a, a sense of 
uh, we need to get rid of this uncomfortableness. And so that effectuates itself into many material uh, uh, um, components, one of them being people just get fired. You get let go. And it's never really for the right for the direct reason. All oh, this position, you know, ended itself. Oh, we found you, you know, you know, guilty of this. And so we're going to let you go on that. Right. Um, you know, another policy is like, I know I got tenure, but that can easily be overdone. Don't get it twisted just because I, you know, I joke around, and say, oh, I got tenure. Yeah, that's great. And it's a great achievement and all that good stuff. It looks great on the CV. But at the end of the day, you piss the right white person off. That's it. That's it. And it's not just the job. It can mean your life. It can mean your reputation. It can mean essentially that your entire way of living can be completely destroyed. But people will see it a different way. The lie that will be told is like, well, they were doing this. Oh, they were doing that. You know, it's like the stuff that was told about, you know, Obama. Oh, he's a he's a Muslim. Oh, he's this. You know, now, of course, you know, white liberals, they love them some Obama. Right. Um so that's interesting. It's an interesting phenomena, interesting phenomena and just where we're at and where we find ourselves and where, where we're at. So I'm just sharing some stuff. I'm still gathering my thoughts on this, and um, I will definitely have another show, an episode about what this means. Uh, but this week, I'm, you know, I'm just tired. I mean, it was a great week last week to have the Tahina and uh, Maya on. Um, it was great conversation. And uh, and I also know that I'm not the only one, you know, under subjugation, under attack. I always think, you know, if you, you know, you're doing something right when you're getting the heat um, and not that you should go out and look for heat as a black person. It just comes to you. <laughs> you don't have to wait long. You know, it's almost like you go up, get a breath of fresh air and you gotta dive right back on down into the mess. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a couple of uh, hard conversations this week that will be going on. And so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting what happens. It'll be interesting, you know, what goes on. I mean, this show is made public. I don't hide it from anybody. Uh, it's out there. And so I'm sure there are folks who are disgusted, uh, who are probably listening or who just they're not even listening to the whole episode. They probably just heard one thing or saw a title and they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. How does this person do this? You know, this is unbelievable. This is a continual thing. Right. And, you know, some white folks feel it. They feel it. Um, but most white folks end up on the, you know, standing on their feet somewhere. Um, people of color do not. And it's an ongoing thing. Um, you know, I'd love to work for myself. I'd love to, you know, uh, have that have that chance to do that, um, to have a little bit more freedom. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's the kind of economy that 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 we're in right now. You know, I, I'm not I don't I can't put my family myself uh, in that situation to be like, oh, I'm just going to go independent um, and then depend on whatever I get, you know, if I'm an independent perspective. And that's the thing. I hate being subject to a system, but I am. I am subjugated to a system. I'm I'm connected to a a I have an umbilical cord tied to whatever system or institution I'm tied to, whether it's in higher education, whether it's a ministry, whether it's a church, whether it's uh, 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 some person or donor. Right. Uh, I hate being being that that type of subjugation because there's always a racialized lens, you know, attached to it. Um, so I don't know. You know, I think about Black Panther and having an uncolonized environment and sure they got problems. You saw that in the movie. If you hopefully you've seen the movie. Um, but, you know, uh, I, you know, that'd be interesting just to have that, you know, to have to be to be to, to be truly independent of, of of white supremacy, you know, and how uncomfortable that makes um white people so yeah it's just where i'm at so this week i had a great conversation with my man kenji uh, a lot of you guys know kenji kiramitsu um 
He's a writer, an educator. He's a recent graduate of the University of Illinois in social work. He's currently pursuing a Master's of Divinity in McCormick Theological Seminary on Chicago's South Side. While where he helps lead worship, he uh, TAs, he serves as community engagement fellow, uh, and when possible, he does study. He was uh, raised in the Roman Catholic uh, Evangelical and Congregational Faith Communities, he has helped, which has helped form his own ecumenical interest in working for social justice in church spaces. Uh, Kinji is passionate about Japanese-American liberation history and decolonizing an LGBTQ advocacy work uh, among faith communities uh, a lot of you know who kenji is he's on twitter uh, he's on he's online environments uh, he tweets a lot he engages in these conversations and i thought this is a rising bright brilliant mind i said i gotta get him on the podcast and so we were able to sit down um actually it was back in uh let's see when did we record this this was this was actually probably about a month or so ago um, but nevertheless, he's a brilliant mind, and I was excited to bring him uh, on the show and just to have a conversation around these issues of race and colonization and, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, an ethnic minority in the Trumpster era? And we're going to keep pounding on that question and pushing forward on that, because, again, if you have not felt the heat of the of the era that we're in, I'm not sure where you're at. I got to be honest, because we are in a world of mess world of mess. And as a rhetorician, as somebody who studies communication theory, as somebody who understands just aspects of how culture goes and what we're being fed to through our media outlets, there are some dangerous, dangerous things occurring uh, that are being set up. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to be, oh, it's the Illuminati and this and all and that and that and that. But I do know that we are reaching a critical point. And so uh, Kenji, is helping us kind of make our way through some of these things. We're not providing answers, but we are providing a space just to hold those conversations. So I know I've kind of went on a rant, but uh, it's a much needed rant. Uh, so without any further ado, Brother Kinji and I have this conversation. Check it out. All right, folks. Well, we, I am here with uh, a good friend of mine, Kinji Kiramus. <laughs> Man, I knew it. Oh, like it on tape. I just said it on tape as soon as I hit record. You said it right before. Kinji Kuramitsu. Yeah. Kuramitsu. Pretty good. Okay, pretty good. All right. Oh, man. <laughs> Kuramitsu. Kinji Kuramitsu. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Just, all right. All right. I'm so sorry, man. I'm, it's no, important it's, when names it, are important. It's so. tough. They are. Thank you. No, it's. Uh, I remember Sung Chan Ra said, he's like, yeah, he said, I'm. Put specifically put a dash in there and the two O's mm. so that people could, you know, like it's not just going to be a Jake or a John. Yeah, it's like let them stumble over right. it. Let your name catch their tongue. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Claim the time. <laughs> so, at any rate, brother, thank you for showing up. Absolutely. Here yeah, yeah, to yeah. White Hodge Manor. <laughs> um, well, tell us a little bit. I mean, you know, this podcast about faith and, you know, the disruption of that. Tell us a little bit about how you have arrived, where you're at now, theologically, spiritually. Mm. Um, what has, well, let me start there, because then the next question I want to ask is, who are some influencers of your theological, your own theological canon? Mm. Well, thanks for having me here. This is great. I've never yeah. done a podcast in person before. Oh, really? Yeah, it's only been over Skype. So oh, this is, this yes. is great. You can we can kind of like we touch can out we and can feel. touch. My hands yes. are very cold. I know. Oh, yeah, oh, um, no, I know what you mean. I was praying with a patient last night at the hospital, by the way. Uh huh. He said your hands are so cold, and I felt like like really bad about that. <laughs> like that that reflected poorly on my God or my theology. Oh no or no. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, let's see. Uh, right now, I'm I'm a student, so I'm at McCormick Seminary in okay. Hyde Park, and all right. at the University of Chicago, doing social work as well. Wow. So, all trying right. to blend social work, theology, sort of lenses. Yes. And uh, I came up in evangelical Christian spaces. So okay. My, my uh, dad raised us in a megachurch in the white suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and then every other weekend. My parents' custody was split, so we went back and forth to Catholic Church um, with my mom. Yeah. And at the same time, we would do holidays in a Japanese-American UCC congregation. Okay. So it was was a very eclectic uh, spiritual mix, but I I really gravitated towards the evangelical expressions of faith. Okay. And in college, was pretty involved with the parachurch campus ministry, which shaped my theology really, really strongly, Um, and and often not in great ways, I think. Oh. Yeah. I think I was party to a lot of the, we would say, problematic or exclusive or violent theologies mm. that, that we've seen emerge um, visibly and recently this year. And so it was like a painful separation from that. Maybe my story's uh, similar to a lot of other folks who have had painful breaks with their mm-hmm. faith communities mm-hmm. of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's definitely played a significant part in my journey. So Yeah, yeah. What um, so speaking of that, like evangelical back in, and you're working on an MDiv Master's Theology, yeah, or? Master of Divinity, right? Okay, now, Master's yeah. of Divinity. And speaking of that, I mean, when you talk about some of those violent, you know, aspects of what what are some of those, those yeah, those those things? My friend Amelia uh, says it's like Evangelifish theology, which I love. <laughs> Jellyfish theology. Um, oh man, I think uh, it's a whole cocktail of of warped or or twisted. Um, interpretations of scripture uh, yeah. maybe around the rapture or around heteronormativity as being yeah. normative in human relationships um, things like I remember like really being instructed that the destruction of the environment was something that we didn't have to be concerned about as right. Christians because uh-huh. God was going to make us and give us a new earth anyway yeah. um, and so it was it was again this kind of cocktail of, of warped white conservative interpretations of scripture that I just accepted as normative. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, speaking of that, I mean, cause I know you've written a book and we'll talk about that here in, Great. in, in a second here. Um, but, and I'm not sure what the editing process was like, but one of the challenges <laughs> I've had as an author yeah. is our reviewers and editors. Mm. Um, I was very thankful for this, this, this last book that I wrote, you know, the editor was really good. Um, but the reviewers, right, mm. always have these issues with, they want to take the, it, I've, I found that it take, they want to pretty things up with, rather than, especially with where, where we're currently at, right? People yeah. would still want to focus on, oh, let's just reconcile and let's be unified yeah. as brothers and sisters. Yeah. And so I'm curious, just in your mind, I mean, where we're at currently with the sociopolitical situation that we're in, Sociotheological, just in some of the theological spaces. I yeah. mean, uh, the amount of anger that exists towards anything progressive, liberal, <laughs> and anything that doesn't fall into a conservative <laughs> evangelical worldview. How do you engage that, and how do you? Where do you see some of the the challenges with that? Like, what does reconciliation look like? For yeah, you? yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I come to this question too as someone who's mixed race and who grew up in white, you know, suburban and also Japanese American communities. Okay, all I right. Think, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've continued to be surprised at how, even in this political moment, mm-hmm. Christian white Christians are holding so desperately onto the reconciliation narrative. Yes, um, 
I mean, I, I guess I, even after the election, even after everything, I continue to, maybe I shouldn't be, but be a little surprised that like these, these theological ideas that really don't have a lot of weight um, mm-hmm. are continuing to have so much stock in a lot of communities. So, yeah. um, that's, that's been, that's been disappointing, I, I guess, um, to see. And yeah, I think I would err to the side of those who think of reconciliation or, um, any of these kind of more uh, fluffy articulations of how to come together again as a country. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of even like Jennifer Harvey's work trying to um, engage white folks around the idea that reconciliation needs to be preceded by reparations and yes. by structural changes. Yes. And, I, and I don't think that we're at there as a church in the U.S. in this moment. Right, right. No, absolutely not. I mean... I mean, I've said this numerous times on this show, whether in public or whatnot, is that I feel like so much of the work that a lot of us do, right, trying to be bridge builders and trying to be, you know, all these negotiators and talk lightly to white people about race and introduce it. I feel like so much of that, if I'm honest, was a failure to look up in 2016 and still see what, you know, the outcome of that. And I think, I mean, I'm just thinking of the legacies of a lot of white evangelical mm-hmm. progressives, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe Tony Campolo yes. or uh, Ron Sider, or yeah, like right. kind of this older cohort, are yeah. they feeling at this moment that their legacy is is a failure? Um, Jim Wallace, right, who spent careers trying to shift white evangelicalism right. in 2016 and beyond. I, I think that's not, that's probably got to be a really shitty place to be feeling. <laughs> right. I mean, these, right. I hate, I mean, I hate to quote Sarah Palin, but I think she had this brilliant line about bridges to nowhere um Mm. maybe that was back in 08 and that that feels like some of what uh the reconciliation minded folks are doing or what i've engaged in in the past sometimes too we're building bridges building bridges but to nowhere yeah what um catapulted you into where you're at right now i mean or have you always been there were you raised as this conscious oh i see people say woke thinker <laughs> i know people have issues with the word woke but i'll that's why i put it in yeah. air quotes y'all can't see it on, on tape <laughs> yeah i, I know i've been air- dropping air quotes this whole time <laughs> i do a lot of air quotes yeah it's all good man yeah i so when i was in college um i, I had this sort of painful break with my campus ministry and mm. um it was after reading like folks like you, Dan, and, and people in the blogosphere who were just presenting an alternative way of, of being a person mm. of faith that I thought, wow, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to hold to these strict hierarchies around men and women and around gender and sexuality. And so um, as I was kind of exploring that, I took like a period of time away from institutionalized uh, religion and from going to church and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And in that space, um, one of my friends organized uh, a book club um, where we met on Skype every week for, um, it ended up being like 15 to 17 months. And we okay. met every Tuesday night for like three to four hours. Wow. Um, and we discussed different theology books. And the first book we started with was Jim, Jim, James Cone's The Cross and the Lynch Oh, Tree. man. Oh, man. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was, so that was the first like work of theology that I intentionally studied. Like, okay. After departing from the Mark Driscoll, John Piper, Matt Chandler, you know, nexus of evil theologies um and that was powerful i mean the the cone and um uh, we read womanist writing as well and this group was led by christian women of color who um, were well like very extensively trained and aware of like dynamics of race gender powers all of this stuff yeah like that that was my bridge back 
into practicing Christian faith. Uh-huh. And it helped me to like leapfrog the white liberalism that I know a lot of my evangelical friends have gravitated to after leaving conservative yes. spaces. Yes. So it yes. kind of let me skip like desiccated liberal theology and go, and that's not to say I'm not um, a participant in that sometimes, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, like a lot of our <laughs> churches that, but, but this group really let me plug into like an of color feminist conscious theology that mm-hmm. I, that that has been life-giving for me yeah and that group was I think my junior year of, of undergraduate studies or yeah because it was then that summer that I got to go on a pilgrimage to Manzanar in okay. California in okay. Los Angeles little Tokyo mm-hmm. so I work with a group called the Concha Project here in Chicago it's okay a project of the JACL Chicago uh, chapter Japanese American Citizens League and that trip brings 10 young Japanese Americans every summer on a pilgrimage to the West Coast. Interesting. And to one of the concentration camps that was used during World War II. Wow. Uh, Manzanar, about three hours drive north of L.A. So going uh-huh. on that pilgrimage after a year spent of learning about anti-racist, um, decarceral theology, and then going and seeing the experiences of, of my community, of some right. of my family, and feeling for the first time, like, not only would I have been in camp, yeah, but, like, in a way, we were there. Mm-hmm. It's not just like what would have happened. It's like it did happen to us. And, th- and that is hard to put into words, but those experiences and then sort of mobilizing on campus around Michael Brown's murder um, just a couple of months later helped to, to stir something in me that mm. hadn't, hadn't really been active before okay. growing up in the suburbs of Chicago to two police officer parents who are very conscious about certain dynamics of power and race and gender. And then in many other ways because of huh. their training, as police officers, as civic servants, have sort of been contoured to the the violence of the state, um, and and so I grew up with with a lot of conflicting ideologies. Yeah. Um, but it was really those two or three formative experiences as a student that that helped me to to shift. Man, that's interesting. Now I didn't know both parents were in law enforcement. They met in the state police academy. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I mean, so so a lot of folks have actually come on the show and, and talked about Mike Brown being right. the, the the moment. Right. It's almost like Ground Zero. Right. It's either him or Trayvon. Right. Um. I mean, for me, it was um. Uh. uh was it before that? It was um. My shifting. Oh, what was this? Two thousand ten. Troy Davis. Mm. Is it Troy Davis? Yes, Troy Davis. Mm. Um. I don't know if you remember him. Mm-hmm. He was uh, African American. Male who was sitting on death row, who allegedly, right, allegedly had killed right. uh, a white police officer, but mm. all of the witnesses had recanted and then told that we had been forced to take this. Of course, there was another person. There was no physical evidence, no other evidence other than somebody thought they had saw him at the place that had killed the, you know, the, the person that killed this mm. this police officer. Um, and we made calls, we made letters. This was, I think this was in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, and uh, this was like 2010, 2011. Um, and, the, you know, the state still put him to death, even with none of, none of that, you know, evidence there that you would want. Mm. Did somebody see you? Was there tape? Is there DNA evidence? Yeah. None of that. It was just a word of some folks who had later recanted. Mm. Um, and somebody in prison later saying, I was the one who, who, uh, who killed him and stuff, man. Mm. So... That for me was ground zero. Wow. But going back to that, how did then your parents engage? I'm curious, yeah, just sure. as it pertains to Mike Brown, because I mean, by the time we get to Mike Brown, I mean it's like this conversation of police brutality. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and then Ferguson, I mean that was that was intense. Yeah. I and 
I talk about this in the intro of my of my book to um, the night of the Ferguson verdict and mm. what that dynamic was like in my in my family. I was at home visiting at the time, and um, I think my parents' uh, activist my parents' identities have been marked by privilege and uh, identities that are oppressed. And so okay, it's it's produced this this consciousness around certain issues of oppression and uh, an ignorance of other areas. Okay, so. Um, my mom would proudly tell me stories about the civil rights movement as a, as a young person. And um, Originally, she wanted to name me Emmett after Emmett Till. That really? That was the second name in consideration. Okay, all right. Um, because his story meant so much to her. And, and so, like, hearing about Mamie Till Mobley and all of these specific narratives growing up helped me to, like, to at least have an openness to issues of tackling white supremacy and all of that. But yeah. at the same time, I've seen in my parents... Uh, Perhaps due to their training mm-hmm. um, as police officers, or you know, growing up, my mom was born here, like nearby in Austin, and then okay. ostensibly were part of the white flight out of the city, just okay. farther to the suburbs. And All I think right. being formed in those spaces has also crystallized this really intense, uh, at times, fragility to discussing issues of race, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I that that was a part of me for a long time as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's. That's been a difficult uh, dynamic at times. I think one of the most important moments in coming to a closer position to each other between my parents and myself um, was actually that <clears throat> the night of the Ferguson verdict in terms of my father. Uh, we had exchanged very sharp words that night, mm. um, lacerated each other with them, and um, wow. we didn't understand each other at all. And uh, later that night, I was staying you know when you're back home visiting your parents even if you're an older i mean you were an adolescent again you're staying in your old room yeah yeah yeah. you're being told to pick up towels over the bathroom yeah, floor maybe yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. <laughs> even if you're like married and older friends have experienced this and so I know, i'm man, I know. and so i'm sleeping in my bedroom except i wasn't sleeping it was like maybe 5 30 in the morning at this point wow. and i couldn't i couldn't sleep i was just flipping through you know social media in yeah. that state that a lot of us were in that mm-hmm, night mm-hmm. Um, and for me visiting all the way back in the suburbs it was nothing going on I mean it wasn't like I could go out at that time right I messaged two people from high school who I wasn't even very close to but I saw that on Facebook they became politically active and I said can we get together and process and they were like no I'm away at school Uh so I was just lying there kind of crying and and um just my spirit was was not well and my father who rises very early came into my bedroom uh, and he claims he doesn't remember this, but he sat down next to me and he just, uh, he said, he asked if he could pray with me and pray for me. Mm-hmm. And um, he did so, and not in the obtrusive, um, violent way of prayer that masks power dynamics. Absolutely. And forces consciences to be soothed and anesthetized. But he, mm-hmm. he sat with me and he, he said, God, I don't understand, but I want to. And mm-hmm. I know that you're at work in my son's life and in this situation. And, and um, I mean, the prayers weren't perfect, but it, like they they calmed me and I slept for yeah. the first time and, and it brought us closer together I think just a bit in trying to figure out um, how we could how we could be a family still through wow. through a lot of the uh, the sharpness of, of the situation so there's still a lot of um, I think pain when certain conversations emerge yeah um, but it's it's marked by like a, a mutual respect at least with my father that I yeah. really appreciate wow man that's um that, that's 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 intense man that's intense what um and now with where you're at now i mean you know 2016 election i know a lot of us felt the same way that night as yeah, well you know yeah. up late 
I know I was up till like three or four a.m. Same thing, just couldn't sleep and just kind of in not in a state of shock, but just in a yeah. surreal state. Honestly, right. it felt like right. like Walking Dead. Like there was yeah. there was this sense of like the apocalypse has happened, but no bombs have been dropped, and there's not like literal dead people right. out there trying to eat me. But right. it felt like I knew like okay, we know we don't know what's coming, but we know what's coming. Yeah. I <laughs> I mean this is like this is silly but I just um I was living in an intentional community okay at the time um one of the one of the only residents of color I didn't want to interact with with any with white folks that yeah. that at that time yeah and um I just went into the bathroom and I just sat on the toilet mm. and I just like in powerlessness you know I don't remember yeah I just sat there and I was just um, it was like that half space in between life and death, like you're talking about this this walking, yeah, this walking dead thing. Um, and you're right, like that's that's a parallel to the night of the Ferguson verdict, where you're just scrolling, you're just swiping, you're just it's rage, it's chaos, and like mm-hmm. you want to kill, you want to die, but there's nothing. Um, yeah, at least in that moment, like at two a.m. that that you could do to rest. Right. Yeah. Right. Man, yeah, I know. I mean, that's and that's. I mean, and I think in this fast-paced this world, it feels like people are saying to hurry up and get over it. Like, okay, yeah, you felt that, but come on, man, things are better and <laughs> things are getting, you know, better. One of yeah. the hashtags my um, my school, as you know, is going through. Right. It's uh, it's some changes right now, <laughs> some issues. Right. Um, and I appreciate the intentionality of senior administration addressing and, and having open forums and yeah. whatnot. I guess I'm trying to ask, like, okay, so what's the solution? It's one thing if you hear students' response, but then what are you going to do about it, right? Mm. So they created this hashtag um, called Better News. And I just kind of looked at that, and I was just like, it feels like we're skipping over the lament and and hurrying up right into the celebration. But I'm like, what are we celebrating? And it felt just off. I went to that first chapel because I'm thinking, okay, because students were talking about, oh, we're going to protest, we're going to stand out, walk out. So, all right, man, I'm with you. Come on, let's do it. Yeah. And it was just this kind of passive soothing. I like what you guys got to say. It's like it wants to force the soothing on yeah. of people, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. What 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 do you make of that? And then honestly, I mean, what of evangelicalism? Is it dead? It's just time for ethnic minorities <laughs> to move on. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah, good questions. I mean, I you're talking about after the election, that chapel? After the election, well, no, 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 we were... Um, or is this the recent chapel? This is the recent, the yeah, oh, this is okay. the recent stuff. Even more. With, uh, yeah, with our, with our campus pastors, just kind of like, nope, let's hop over it. Yeah. Here's some counselors, you can talk with them, but it's going to be better. And no one, yeah. I remember the quotes, the people were saying, no one's died. I'm like, ah, I don't know. That, maybe yeah. it's just me, man, I'm just too, you know, no, sensitive no, no. To, those, to, those, to, those, to those things. No, I mean, it's like you said, there's... There's such thing as like a walking death or a living death. I think we have an emaciated view of violence and death in in our country today. So so we only link violence to physical actions and not. Yeah. Um, I think this is wrapped in in a lot of the debate around free speech. But it's like right. speech can't be violence. Hate right. speech can't be violence. White supremacist ideas are not violence in and of themselves. Well, of course they are. Um, and I think right. I mean. For, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, as I said, and, and we ha- hold to the church calendar, and we're approaching, like, Lent. And just, actually, it starts on Valentine's Day this year. So oh, it's wow. like the 40 days of fasting okay. and, and repentance and prayer. And I almost feel like 
not ready for it hmm. because it's like this season of intentional lament, which mm-hmm. which is important. Mm-hmm. But in a in a manner, I feel like I've I've been engaged in that kind of lament for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that's true for the majority of our nation, or perhaps for even. Christianity. I think that you're right, right. and Sung Chan Ra talks about this too, but it, it is this this urge to pour frosting over something and like skip past the actual grieving and lament mm-hmm. and like, you know, hop over to Sunday, as it were, yeah. before like sitting in Friday or even Saturday. Um, it's absolutely been happening right now in our communities. And as to the state of, of evangelicalism and whether communities of color and all of I mean, I think that the the evangelical spaces that have most wounded me have have been um, contoured to white supremacy and mm-hmm. patterned after, um, yeah, after white supremacist ideas as to whether communities of color should, you know, stay in evangelicalism or reclaim or any of that. I think, you know, I really appreciated Debbie Jean Lee's work okay. um, about Christians of color, queer folks, and women reclaiming evangelicalism. That's mm-hmm. the language she uses, or Rescuing Jesus is her book. Um, I think it's up to the individual person to decide like, sure. whether these these um, these communities are worth salvaging. But, but what I will say is that I think institutions right now are worth defending and are very important. And if there are evangelical institutions that that you believe in and that can be salvaged, or, yeah. you know, schools or nonprofits or collectives, I think that it's worth investing energy in those right now if you feel like that's the context that you can work in. All right. And I've done that to to some degree. Um, you know, I work with the Reformation Project, which is a Bible-based LGBTQ uh, advocacy organization. Yeah. And a lot of our constituency has historically been evangelicals. Uh, which has meant that a lot of our past gatherings have mostly been white, um, and and especially in the beginning of our time as an organization, we struggled with articulating issues of race and connecting those to um, teaching and affirming perspective from Scripture on yeah. gender and sexuality. It's been encouraging to see how that space has played a role in the niche of um, maybe just broad church evangelical. Mm-hmm. LGBT racial justice work, and I think that that it's fulfilled a gap that's existed in in a lot of those spaces in the past. Um, but as to the state of evangelicalism as a whole, yeah, <laughs> I mean, go to a conference and look around, and does anyone yeah. look like you or their queer folks represented? Are are we actually in positions of power on boards and institutions? Yeah, I think it, it paints not a hopeful picture in a yeah. lot of ways. But I'll also say that. And this might be, um, I hope this isn't a, a cop-out, but the mainline church of which I'm a part and, of, and which formed me historically too um, is is not doing a whole lot better with okay. a lot of issues around race. Okay, um, yeah. And I think there's room for work in both of these spheres. And, mm-hmm. maybe, and maybe for crossover. I've, I've uh, been a little bit porous in my um, moving between these, these spaces, but I think that they're both spheres that need the influence of um, agitators and people who can further the work <laughs> yeah, right you know right yeah what um so tell us about a little bit about your book i mean because that's good i mean i wanted to ask you about the evangelical question because I mean, it's, it's something that comes up a lot sure yeah yeah yeah. you know and 
And the book is published through Evangelicals for Social Action. Yes. Out of the Cider Center. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, how did that how did that come about? What's, sure, uh, yeah, the premise absolutely. of it and, and, and all that uh, that good stuff? I think I was at one of your signings. Yeah, you can't. That was great. I, that was so great. <laughs> that Thank was you a good for time. coming. That oh, of course, of man. Of course. Let's see. So I took a. Um, we had lunch, you and I, with Claudio Carvales last That's summer. Right. That's yeah, right. That's right. Oh my gosh. And yes. um, Claudio was a professor of worship at McCormick Seminary, where okay. I go. And he taught a course in the fall of 2015 called "Worship and the Arts: Black, mm. Black Lives Matter." Wow. And so that class was. I mean, he exposed us to. I think he had so much fun teaching it, and I really enjoyed being in it. We visited art institutions. The Art Institute here in Chicago had improv trainers and dance, and like basically, it was a survey course on how different forms of art could be used in worship, and how mm-hmm. specifically that was connected to the movement for Black Lives. Okay. Um, and our final projects for that class um, had to be creative. So rather than write a paper. Professor Carvales wanted us to create something that was, nice. that was living. Yeah, so maybe nice. a short film or um, my project was to create a collect, a book of prayers around the issue, uh, the movement for black lives and tackling issues wow. of white supremacy, of wow. heteronormativity, of um, colonialism, of, of all of these things. So that that was my final project for his class. And mm-hmm. Claudio had suggested you should try to get this published. These are needed prayers at this time in our movement. Um, Mine wasn't even the best project in the class. That that distinction goes to Myung Kim, who was another student of ours, student from Korea, um, who joined the class and didn't mm-hmm. quite know what the course was about before okay. she took it. Um, but throughout the semester, learned about the history of lynching in the United States, wow. something she hadn't been exposed to growing up in Korea and okay. being educated about racial dynamics in the U.S. Yeah. Or miseducated about them. Yeah. And her final project in the class was she created this this beautiful haunting mural portrait oh, I mean, it's man. huge oh. of um, basically of, of scenes of lynchings throughout the US but she she sketched in crosses and 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 the victims of these lynchings were resting on the crosses like oh. holding them being held oh, by them not dangling man. but like supported by them uh-huh. um, and like held up and she explained because Jesus was with each one of those people and Jesus is each one of those people mm-hmm. and um, I mean Claudio brought <laughs> brought that picture with him at Union and showed it to James Cone and wow. um, convinced it helped him land the job there <laughs> um, that was that was the most the most beautiful transformative haunting project from that class wow. but, but mine were these these prayers um, yeah which you know coming from the Anglican tradition, a lot of our prayers are not always extemporaneous, but yeah. written in mm-hmm. advance and mm-hmm. said on certain occasions. And so looking at our book of common prayer, we have prayers, quote, for social justice, quite broadly, or quote, you know, for schools or for Labor Day. Um, and I kind of wanted to add things, like you said, to the canon of those prayers. Mm-hmm. So can we tackle issues of sexual assault and gender-based violence? Like, why is that not in the canon of the prayers that we're reciting? Right, right. Or how about a a prayer when communities of color are pitted against one another yeah. in this gambit of white supremacy um, or after a police officer shoots and kills a young person like what what other prayers aren't we speaking and so that was a little bit of the impetus behind the project and I was really excited that um, Mickey Scape Jones through her mm-hmm. work with Evangelicals for Social Action um, helped to connect us and they expressed interest in this project because I think a commonality like 
there's a shared consciousness between us around naming these issues of race and yeah. also in, in the power of prayer um, to, and I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I just got off my first shift at the hospital where I'm doing chaplaincy work now. There's a power in prayer. And yeah. I'm not talking about, um, even if you wanted to bracket questions mm. of the supernatural, yeah. even if you could go that far and be so bold, um, there's a power in prayer for how it changes us and how it shapes and um, influences our communities. Um, how it lets us to name things or constrain mm-hmm. them. Um, the presence of being in the, pre- in the the power of being in the presence of God is, is yeah. I mean, that's something that I'm unwilling to concede to the far right or to Christian theologies that uplift violence and whiteness. I mean, in the same way that I'm not going to surrender scripture mm-hmm. and interpretations of the Bible to those quarters, I mean, prayer is, is something that I think we also have to work in tandem to reclaim and, and to use to help shape us. So that was a little of the impetus behind the project. Wow. Man, I like that. I mean, I like this last part that you talked about with prayer. I mean, and I think, I know for me personally, that's been one of the challenges is yeah. reclaiming some of those aspects, yeah. right? I mean, because, right, in and of itself, I mean, prayer is powerful. There's mm-hmm. something about that. I mean, we know yeah. that from the elders. We know that from yeah, the, the, the uh, you know, the folks who we're standing on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like prayer is powerful. So I, and I feel like, at least for me, and I don't know how anybody else feels, but it's like sometimes because things have been so co-opted, it's almost like you just want to just cut everything yeah. off. Yeah. And then you, and then I know for me this last year has been more of a what can I then reclaim? And prayer's mm-hmm. definitely been one of those, you know, and then how do we how do we do how do we interpret the spirit? How do we interpret the gifts of the spirit and how do we interpret like you said the interpretation of being in the presence of God? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like without the fundamentalist? Oh, you have to do it this way or you yeah. have to do it early in the morning because that's the only time God is listening or, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I think then that's what I've appreciated about your book is that there's a genuine lament that mm-hmm. is in there that is being wrestled with and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough of that in our in our faith journey these days. Mm-hmm. And so I've appreciated that about what you add to that. Mm. When I teach my course on Black Lives Matter, I'm trying to get it as a, a registered course that students have to take. We're going to have that as, um, as a required reading. Wow. Yeah. That's some, thank you. And oh, I hope that you course. can get the course to be required because that should be required reading I'm, as well. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage my department chair uh, yeah, weight please. on that and, uh, you know, insist. Um and what has it been like just being an author and uh, having this out there <laughs> in the world? You show up at Barnes and Nobles and yeah, them and right, like, hey, right. man, order my book, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hasn't happened. Okay, all right, all right, <laughs> but all right. It, I, I guess I, I can say that it's been cool to see how people who, yeah, yeah, this was cool, people, that people who don't know me have read. I mean, it sounds weird, but um, when I, like, hear that people who are not connected to me personally have right. have benefited from or read or appreciated it, the book, um, or that it's helped them to think about prayer in new or in different ways. Mm-hmm. That, that like, is so cool. Yes. I'm, I'm very not used to that. Yes. It's, it's super encouraging. No, that's what's up, man. Yeah. yeah and, that's, and that's a powerful thing. I mean, that's, I always say, you know, your books go and speak, you know, before you. I mean, they mm-hmm. are representative of your thoughts and your yeah. mind, and they show up long before you do. They're on somebody's desk. They're on somebody's coffee table. They're in somebody's mailbox, yeah. and it's like they get to open it up and see a, a part of who you are That's and what you true. were thinking. And hopefully, they won't return void. Right. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. 
No, that's the truth. That is the truth. I mean, and sometimes I think, man, you know, it's like, what? Well, good. I mean, because I know, you know, as an author, as somebody who puts creative stuff together, I mean, yeah. you know, it's like Eric Badu said, it's like, you know, the artist, <laughs> man, I'm sensitive about my shit, man. It's yeah. like, good night. <laughs> so it's difficult to not get caught up in the, oh, well, this person over here is getting invited to all this stuff over here. Yeah. And, and this person sold all kind of books, you know, and this is yeah, that. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because yeah. that's the kind of world we live in, right? It's yeah. like, well, how many did you sell? That's um, true. How many, you know, how much, how, how big are you You getting? What is your platform? Mm-hmm. But I have just appreciated, like I said, what you're trying to do and have done through your text. And uh, and, and that's great. And like you said, Evangelicals for Social Action, man, they're, they're, they're doing it up. They're yeah. doing it up. And how then, um, I want to keep you all day, but uh, how no, then. No, this is great. I'd love to. No, man. I mean, this is, I mean, this is such an interesting conversation as it relates to faith and, and all that whatnot. <laughs> um, how do you deal with the ongoing? Because I see you at a different, you know, different venues and speaking and, yeah. and whatnot. What does that look like for you being your age, being where you're at? I know when I was doing my master's, man, I wasn't doing any of this. I wasn't writing books when I was a master's student. I wasn't going to speak in national conferences. I was just yeah. a little scrub trying to just talk a little smack, you know, at Fuller on Pasadena's campus and yeah. stuff, man. And so I'm just, I'm, I, I, I love that you are, are doing that. What's that been like for you? And, and, and then what are some of the spaces that you go, did you go into? Yeah, it, and thanks. It's been very humbling to mm. be a part of these conversations, especially as a younger person, right? So I just turned 14. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, 20, I'm 24. I'm I was born in 2006, right? Wow, so. all right. <laughs> That's right. That's when my daughter was born, man, oh, 2006. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you know that I, usually I can say that and people are like, wow. You're right. Yeah, they don't question it. Right, um, right. It's been very humbling. I mean, and it's honestly a lot of being connected to, um, you know, different board leadership on different organizations or speaking or writing has mm-hmm. been because of, I don't want to say elders, but like forebears or mm-hmm. like folks like yourself who have not only paved the way for, for younger people who are doing similar work, but like you actually, and friends like you pass things on to me and like mm. support me for these things. And mm. it's consistently come from wow. my siblings of color, um, from other queer folk, from, from people who are older and who um, have consistently uplifted like me and others so I've, yeah. I've been super appreciative of that um yeah that's the first thing i want to say so so that's 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 been a, a very large influence um and it it's been kind of weird i think that because there's somewhat of a dearth in um uh asian american or japanese american like we're not a very christian community as a whole so hmm. um think because there's kind of a lack of representation there there's been some and especially like with the 75th anniversary like our story of incarceration of mass incarceration of of uh concentration feels very relevant right now yeah um and it and it feels sacred to be one of the stewards of that story okay um yeah that's that's something i would say uh as well as the the day of, I mean, when you were a master's student, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't Twitter, it's true. Facebook, That's like true. social media has, has true. let new voices kind of come Absolutely. into the fore, and that's something I've, I've approached often uh, without much caution, I think mm-hmm. particularly like as a college student, like I'm not necessarily thinking that as I'm sending a tweet, um, my great, great, great grandchildren will be able to see that if they want to. Like that's yeah, that's yeah. wild. The, the Instagram photo I posted of you this morning—that's forever. <laughs> um, so like, 
I think that I've I've sort of developed a nascent caution or, or awareness around mm. social media. But yeah. It also has allowed me and other young folks the platform and the opportunity to speak into conversations that before us, I mean, before being able to cultivate uh, a presence on social media, you would maybe write a letter to an editor if you saw something you disagreed with right. in the paper or. Yeah. Um, like a blog post, I guess a little yeah. earlier, but there's there's really been a lot of power that's been handed to yes. our generation with a lot yes. of this stuff. Yeah, and I think that's I mean that's one of the greatest shifts, right? I mean mm-hmm. it's like you know the fact that you have a sphere in a public environment where you can go and you know have these conversations, hashtags being a place to you know access archives mm-hmm. instantaneously, yeah. right? I mean we can go yeah. look up stuff and like you said pictures are there there you know once once it's posted i always say it's always there I yeah. mean, somebody will know how to retrieve it even if you say delete it's still somewhere <laughs> so i mean i found I've, I've found and you're right i mean shoot i mean when i was a mass there was no facebook facebook started what 2003 you know twitter mm. was what 2005 or something like that yeah. 2006 and i resisted for a long time to do twitter i was like nah man i'm on facebook and you know nah i i you know and then finally when you know solo hip-hop came out then i was like all right i gotta i gotta get on twitter and stuff man but um, I've found that, you know, to be a good space yeah. to to engage. I mean, a lot of people have found yeah. this podcast through yeah. hashtags. Or That's somebody. how I had gotten connected to you originally. I heard you preaching at an event. Uh, it was a fundraiser for Marissa Alexander. Oh, okay. That was All happening right. in Chicago. And then yes. I, we followed each other on the Twitters. That's right, Marissa Alexander. Yes, yeah. yes. So That's right. Well, and so what are some of the spaces then that you find that are welcoming. I mean, I don't I've found plenty of spaces that I go to that people, I was sharing, a lot of you guys don't know this, but I was just sharing a story with um, <laughs> Kenji here prior to, um, and what time do you gotta go? Bro? No, no, no rush. Okay, I just yeah. wanna make sure, cause I know we're at, you know, we're, we're almost at time here. But I wanna, I wanna, wanna ask this, cause I, I, think it's, I think it's fascinating, particularly somebody who speaks and writes and is out there doing it. I've been to plenty of places that they didn't do enough research. We both didn't do enough research on each other. <laughs> So, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I was at a particular place that was calling me over, and I was like, you sure you know who you're asking to come and speak? Right, like, have right, you, right. Here, let me give you my website one more time. Let me give you an article I just wrote. Yeah. You know, is, what are some of the spaces you have found to be, to be like, wow, this is good. This is like, I need to, I need to continue this. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I can think of is, is working with the Japanese American Citizens League here in Chicago. Okay. So we have a very strong group of young Japanese Americans. Like Chicago was the biggest city for forced resettlement after the war. Hmm. So a lot of folks came here from camp. Okay. Um, Twenty dollar like train ticket, bus ticket, whatever, and got here. Okay. And then like set up communities. So so the roots go kind of deep, and it's been really cool doing community organizing with those folks or planning different programs. Yeah. Um, and trying to to loop others into the community. Mm-hmm. It hasn't always, and I've shared this, but it hasn't always been a space where I feel I can bring my faith identity or okay. all the aspects. Okay. Me, um, as valuable as it's been, and um, I'm also thinking of my work with the Reformation Project. Okay. As a space that names sexuality, gender, race, and faith um, as constitutive elements of yeah. our common life together. Yeah. And I've and I've really really appreciated being in spaces like this. Um, it has felt sometimes in doing work around issues of LGBTQ, white supremacy, um, Japanese American history, and justice. Like it has felt sometimes it, that I've had to be fragmented and okay. bracket off certain parts of who I am and bring them to different spaces. But yeah. I think that the environments that have come the closest to being a, a welcoming space, as you said, or somewhere uh-huh. where I 
feel that all of me is seen and named have been those that like from the outset explicitly acknowledge that that's what they're trying to do so yeah um, the mystic soul conference which we held recently mm-hmm. with your help mm-hmm. um, at north park university was i think a primary example of that bringing not only present identities but also naming ancestors and, and yeah. ancestral experiences and trauma even as as things that were a part of who we are right that that was a i felt that that was an extremely um groundbreaking kind of space yeah and the fact that they had curated months before the event what kinds of values would be a part of it right right very highly to me i mean i i would capitalism and the scarcity game sometimes we take opportunities with organizations or groups or whatever that might not line up 100 percent with politics whether that's like a one-time gig or working for an organization or a government longer term whatever but i think that the spaces that carefully curate the conversation even before the physical event starts yeah um those probably are ones that would wound less and that i could trust more yeah right no absolutely no absolutely man well and like i said you know i was like the speaking circuit is wide and and (laughs) far and so it's always amazing to me um you know i mean that there still continue to be conferences that you know feature you know just exclusively white folks and you know maybe one ethnic minority right or you know one woman or whatever i mean i've i've called you up before like um and just asked what your experiences were with working with groups and yeah you've always been very i i appreciate when we can be honest with each other yes yes i think maybe like two three years ago when i started really writing and speaking professionally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it felt like i was just like throwing myself against a brick wall <laughs> yeah and like uncritically you know taking things and I, and i'm grateful for the folks who said like hey slow down and be judicious about this. It's not, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. don't break, don't break your body against something that is, that is not going to shift. Right. Um, right. That's a lesson I'm still learning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> the same <laughs> way. I've had to say goodbye to a few yeah. organizations and I'm just yeah. like, no, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. There is, there's no movement here. We've been having this yeah. been just kind of going around in circles here. I mean, I think candidly, I'm thinking about wild goose festival and, okay. and the way that, uh, you know, that space has been a blessing to me, but also has fomented rather than authentic movement mm-hmm. building, a kind mm-hmm. of just paralysis. Like uh, I think Alicia Crosby said, like uh, a summer camp for white liberals and their <laughs> kids rather than an authentic <laughs> movement space. Right, you know? right, so, right, right. So one of the, the litmus tests I try to, to bring to if I'm approached by an organization is, is, is this event or is this group contributing to active mm-hmm. ongoing organizing or is this like a flash in the pan one and done kind of thing right. or, or, or yeah like a masturbatory event that has no mm-hmm. legitimate purpose outside of it mm-hmm. it's it's been harder to ask that question but I think the more that I've um, centered that lens yeah the wiser decisions I've made in yes. terms of investing time and energy this is a conversation and I know we're, we're at time but I would love don't, don't worry about it, to please. pick up on, well because I mean I think and here, let me grab my dog. I'm going to start barking here. Um, and every, if you listen to the show, man, you know Chester is, uh, has made several appearances uh, on, on the show <laughs> on here. And so, yeah, man, go ahead and go on and get that, 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 that picture in there of <laughs> Chester there. Big black man with a little, little poodle. You just see when he actually first gets a haircut, man. He's really adorable. It's terrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I think there's been, I mean, we're speaking Canada. I mean, I think there's been a, a few places. I mean, Progressive Youth Ministry has been one of them. Right, I mean, right, right. Um, you know, it's like, okay, what's this going to be? 
is this going to be yeah like you said is this going to be a movement or is this going to be another just a one movement? of those right. things yeah. um the justice conference of course most media doesn't know about that here that you know that's come to chicago no. although i hear now they're trying to move and yeah. at one point they were talking with uh north park that's and stuff right. and I was just like, y'all don't want me in them conversations. I mean, I, the the open network. Yes, that was, I was, thing, I was about the, to hit on that one. Yep. Why Christian? Why? Yep. Know. Yep. And that's not. I think these these organizations are at different places in this trajectory and this constellation of, of positions. But a lot of them are wrestling with the same question. Same question. People ask, is this another thing, or is this like right? And I guess I'm trying to figure out like what you know, and then. What is this? What is the purpose of this? Or like you said, is it, yeah. is it a masturbatory uh, you know, event where we just get together and we just all feel good yeah. and there's some good talks and people tweet out, but then I'm like, okay, then what, are we, what, what next? Right. One of the things I like about it, I don't know if you're familiar with the Hewitt DeWitt Proctor Conference. Uh, Samuel DeWitt Proctor. Yes, Samuel yeah, yeah, yeah. DeWitt. Yes, yeah. Samuel DeWitt, excuse me. Um, and one of the things I love about that is that, yes, they have a conference, but throughout the entire year, there's yeah. always events, there's always organizations, mm. there's always organizing around a particular thing. Okay, we're going to go do this, or we're going to go do that, we're going to go march yeah. on this. So there's been an ongoing, and they're inclusive of queer and LGBTQ, mm. and, you know, which is, I had never been to another, I'll be honest, we're going to be honest here. Right. right. Yeah. Where they're very inclusive. I mean, yeah. ethnic minorities, we tend to be very religiously and theologically conservative. And mm. so we'll go to toe to toe with race. We'll go toe to toe with immigration. It's biblically correct. You have to take in the immigrant. Yeah. What about human sexuality? Oh, no, no, no. That's, <laughs> that is against God's word. It's very clear in the Bible about yeah. that. Well, slavers said the same thing back yeah. in 1845. We're parroting their words. <laughs> So, I don't know, man. I mean, that's, yes. I mean, those. that's, again, a conversation I'd like to, to take up here in, in mm. season two of Profane Faith. It's like, what what does that progressive theological space look like? And not just to yeah. critique it. I don't want to be like, oh, because they ain't inviting me. But genuinely. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To genuinely ask the question, like, what does that mean if we're not represented? Like, you, you just said it. If we're not on the boards. If we're, if we're not right. on the, order, the, the planning committee. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to season two. Oh man, yes. Well, I mean, because you just you just touched on. It. I was like, man, that's that, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. But it's one that so many organizations are having right now. Yeah. I mean, contemplative yeah. organizations, Protestant, Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, any land like of the landed gentry ones, right? Yes. Like that have white dollars institutionally backed endowment. They do grants. Like a lot of them. Some aren't, but a lot of them are now wrestling with these questions. And yes. I think the the prophets who have long raised these protests against them are are perhaps not always being recognized at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, this has been great, brother. What? Um, where can people find you? What are you up to right now? Yeah, what? Uh, great. What's uh, What's pushing forward? Great. Uh, thanks. <laughs> um, on the social media is at a fresh mind. I made it as a freshman in college. <laughs> That's, uh, I didn't that's know it. That. I know it's I not did. clever at all. People oh. people think much more highly of, of me. Um, I have a website which uh, is like a six out of ten right now, but maybe in the future it'll be a little higher, like an eight or a seven. I know what you mean. Uh, it's KenjiKuramitsu.com. Nice. Okay. And some future projects. I mean, I'm uh, doing this hospital chaplaincy internship yeah. right now, which is a lot of fun. In terms of creative projects, I'll mm-hmm. have a chapter in an upcoming book. On preaching against white nationalism, Ooh, um, which dang. should be out by the end of next summer. Dang! Um, All right. And longer term, my little sister and I are working on a coloring book 
that juxtaposes. No yeah, it's kind of cool. It's very <laughs> niche. So if you're listening and this sounds like you, you know, let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But it's Japanese American incarceration history, coloring wow. pages, with essays on biblical um, interpretation Whoa. and critical race theory. Whoa! <laughs> but everyone Whoa. I tell that to says, I'm excited about one of those things, right? Either the coloring book or the biblical or the race piece. Oh, man, I'm, I want to take all that in, man. I'll right get you now. and your family copies. Oh, man. brother. There's a market of two for this. That's because, uh, you know, I go to LaSalle, so I'm, I'm going to have oh, to make right. them uh, get that in their curriculum. We'd, we'd love that. Yes. So that's kind of a longer term project we've been working on, but I'd really Absolutely. like to. And that also came out of a, a final project from a class I took at McCormick taught yeah. by Frank Yamada, who's now the oh, Association yeah, of right. yeah. Theological Schools president. That's what's so, up, man. I love when professors can give a final project that is like you can take into the real world yes. rather than just. Yes. Yeah. I'm so moving towards cool. that in all of my classes right now. That's uh, I get, actually I'm giving students a choice because like, there's still yeah, yeah. students give them a choice yeah. that they you know some just they say want the traditional oh, right I want a traditional and if thesis. they do it well that's great exactly yeah but I have other students who say no I just had a student come to me this last week and say can I have access to the you know the cameras and all that stuff like that so, of course it's like <laughs> great <laughs> so I say yes so yeah no man and for those of you listening I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Um, to put a copy of uh, of where to buy uh, Brother Kinji's book uh, and and all that in the show notes as well because I think this we have I think the other thing is that we have to support each other because I think right. no one else is going to do it for us. Yeah, I mean, sure we'll get a speaking gig here, we'll get a speaking gig there, but I think we have to support each other. And you know, this is this is kind of like my contribution. Like, how can we keep promoting stuff like this yeah. out to the broader? Thank world. you for always faithfully doing that, Dan. Oh man, that it's my pleasure, man. My pleasure. I'm just trying to trying to pay it forward, man. A few people did it for me. I'm just yeah. trying to just pay it forward to, to other folks, man. It's like the Asada chant: "We must love each other and support each other. Oh, we man. have nothing to lose but our chains. We must. Lo- no one else is going to do it. It's got to be us." There you go. That's a that's a good word. Excellent word, brother. Well, thank you so much for coming, brother. Thanks for having me on. All right, now. <laughs>